Hey guys, welcome back to my podcast, continuing with the um, central nervous system or the nervous system. Today I will be reviewing the protective structures, starting with the cranium. So for the cranium, we've got the cranial vault functions um, to enclose and protect the brain and then its associated structures. So we've got the bony cranium, which is composed of eight bones. So we've got parental, we've got two parietals, we've got two temporal got the ethmoid, the sphenoid, and the occipital. And then we've got the gallier, is, which is a thick fibrous band of tissue overlaying the cranium between the frontal and the occipital muscles. This structure um, affords added protection to the bony structures of the skull. And uh, the subgaleal space has venous um, connections with the dural sinuses. And with increased intracranial pressure, blood can be shunted to this space thus reducing the pressure in the intracranial cavity. And then we've got the subgaleal space, and this is also a common site for placement of wound drains after intracranial surgery. The floor of the cranial vault is irregular, and it contains many foramia or openings that act as exit sites for cranial nerves. And then we've got blood vessels there too, and the spinal cord. So we've got the cranial floor, which is divided into three fossae or depressions. We've got the frontal lobes that lie in the anterior fossa. We've got the temporal lobes and the base of the diencephalon, which lie in the middle fossa and then temporal fossa, and also the um, cerebellum lies in the posterior fossa. These terms are commonly used as anatomic landmarks to describe the location of intracranial lesions. And then next, we've got the meninges. So the meninges are surrounding the brain and the spinal cord, and they are three protective membranes, the dura matter, the arachnoid, and the pia matter. And then collectively, they are called the meninges. So the dura matter, meaning literally hard mother, is comprised or composed of two layers. So they have the venous sinus formed between them. And then the outermost layer forms the periostinum or the endosteal layer of the skull. And then you've got the inner dura, which is the meningeal layer. Provides rigid uh, membranes that support and separate various brain structures. One of these structures is the falx cerebri, dips between the two cerebral hemispheres along the longitudinal fissure. And then the falx uh, cerebri is anchored anteriorly to the base of the brain at the crista galli of the ethmoid bone. And then we've got the tentorium cerebelli, which is a common landmark. Um, It's a membrane that separates the cerebellum from the cerebral structures above. And then we've got the arachnoid matter, which is a spongy web-like structure just underneath the dura matter that loosely follows the contours of the cerebral structures. And then we've got the subdural space, which lies between the dura and the arachnoid. Many small bridging veins that have little structural support transverse the subdural space, and then their disruption results in a subdural hematoma. And then the subarachnoid space lies between the arachnoid and the pia matter, and then the cerebral fluid. Unlike the dura matter and the arachnoid, the delicate pia matter closely adheres to the surface of the brain and the spinal cord, and it provides support for blood vessels serving the brain tissue. 
Then we've got the carotid plexus, which arises from the pia membrane and functions to produce the cerebral spinal fluid. And then the spinal cord is anchored to the vertebra by extensions of the meninges called the uh, dentis, denticulate ligaments. Um, so the meninges continue beyond the end of the spinal cord at the vertebra levels L1 and L2 to the lower portion of the cerebrum. So we've got the um, cerebral spinal fluid contained within the subarachnoid space, also circulates down to the large lumbar cistern, which extends from the second lumbar vertebra to the second sacral vertebra. So the cisterns are um, expanded areas of the subarachnoid space. So this is the cerebellomedullary cistern, and then the pond cistern are two other important cisterns, and the meninges form a potential in real spaces. This is important to understand in terms of functional and pathological mechanisms of the meninges. So for example, between the dura and the between the dura matter and the skull lies a potential space termed the epidural space. The arterial supply to the meninges consists of um, blood vessels that lie within grooves in the skull. So a skull fraction can sever one of these vessels and produce an epidural hematoma. And then next we've got the actual cerebral fluid and the ventricular system. So the CSF is a clear colorless fluid similar to blood plasma and then the interstitial fluid, the intracranial and the spinal cord structures float in the CSF and are therefore partially protected from jolts and blows. The buoyant properties of the CSF also prevents the brain from tugging on the meninges and then the nerve roots and blood vessels. Um, Oh, the, the nerve roots and the blood vessels are, um, are within. And so, um, between a hundred and fifty or 125 to 150 mils of cerebral spinal fluid is circulating in the ventricles. Um, these are the small cavities and then the subarachnoid at any given time, approximately the brain makes about 600 mils of cerebral spinal fluid a day. And the carotid plexus in the lateral third and fourth ventricles produce the majority of this. These plexus are characterized by a rich network of blood vessels supplied by the pia mater that lie close to the cells of the ventricles and then the tight junctions. The carotid blood vessels provide a limiting um, barrier between the cerebral fluid and the blood. And that functions uh, similar to what a blood-brain barrier does. And then the... Uh, CSF exerts pressure within the brain and the spinal cord. When a person is supine, the CSF pressure is approximately 80 to 180 of uh, water pressure, but it can double when the person moves to an upright position. Uh, the CSF flow results from the pressure gradient between the arterial system and then the CSF-filled cavities. And um, beginning in the lateral ventricles, the CSF flows through interventricular foramen or foramen of Monroe you might have heard into the third ventricle and then passes through the cerebral aqueduct and then into the fourth ventricle from the fourth ventricle the CSF may pass through either the um, paired lateral 
apertures or the foramen of Lusca or the median aperture, which is the foramen of Meg Megdendine. I might be pronouncing that wrong before communicating with the subarachnoid space of the brain and the spinal cord. So the CSF is produced continually, but does not accumulate. Instead, it is reabsorbed into the venous circulation through a pressure gradient between the arachnoid villi and the cerebral venous sinuses. So the arachnoid villi protrude from the arachnoid space um, through the dura mater and then lie within the blood flow of the venous sinuses. And then the villi functions as a one-way valve system, um, directing the CSF outflow into the blood but preventing blood uh, blood flow into the subarachnoid space thus csf is formed from the blood and then after circulating throughout the cns it returns to the blood it's like a recycling system and then um we've got the vertebra column the vertebra column is comprised of 33 vertebrae seven cer cervical we've got 12 thoracic We've got five lumbar, five fused sacral, and four fused coxal. Okay, so then we've, after that, um, we've got between each vertebra, except for the fused sacral and the coxygeal vertebrae, we have an intervertebral disc. At the center of the intervertebral disc is the nucleus pulpus. Um, this is a pulpy mask of elastic uh, fibers. The intervertebral disc functions to absorb shocks, preventing damage to the vertebrae. And the intervertebral disc is also a common source of back problems. If too much stress is applied to the vertebra, um, to the vertebral column, the disc uh, contents may rupture and protrude into the spinal canal, causing compression of spinal cord or a nerve root, and the disc can also degenerate. Uh, let's see if there's anything else, and then we'll move into the blood supply of the central nervous system, or the blood supply to the brain. So, we've got the brain receives approximately 20% uh, of the cardiac output, or 800 to 1,000 mils of blood flow per minute. Carbon dioxide serves as a primary regulator for blood flow within the central nervous system. It is a potent vasodilator in the central nervous system, and it affects um, its effect ensure an adequate blood supply. So the brain derives its arterial supply from two systems. We've got the internal carotid arteries, anterior circulation, then we've got the vertebra arteries, the posterior circulation. So the internal carotid arteries supply a proportionately greater amount of blood flow, and they originate at the common carotid arteries, enter the cranium through the base of the skull, and they pass through the cavernous sinus. After entering the skull, these arteries divide into the anterior, the middle cerebral arteries, and the vertebral arteries originate at the subclavian arteries and pass through the transverse foramen, of the cerebral uh, of the cervical vertebra entering the cranium through the foramen magnum they join at the junction of the palms and the medulla oblongata to form the basilar artery and then the basilar artery divides at the le level of the midbrain to form paired posterior cerebral arteries please look at a diagram to make sense of like where exactly what is going where 
So the three major paired arteries perfuse the cerebellum and the brainstem, and the posterior inferior cerebral artery, the anterior inferior cerebral artery, and then the superior cerebral arteries. They originate from the basilar artery, and the basilar artery also gives rise to small pontine arteries. And the large arteries on the surface of the brain and their branches are called superficial arteries, conducting arteries. Small branches that project into the brain are termed projecting arteries or nutrient arteries. And then, of course, the circus of Willis that I mentioned earlier provides an alternative route for blood flow when one of the contributing um, arteries is obstructed. This is called collateral blood flow. So the circle of Lewis is formed by the posterior cerebral arteries, posterior communicating arteries, internal carotid arteries, anterior cerebral arteries, and anterior communicating artery. The artery, or, or the arterial um, cerebral, middle cerebral, and posterior cerebral arteries leave the arterial circle and extend into various brain structures. So please feel free to look at a diagram to understand where, what is going. And then the cerebral venous drainage does not parallel its arterial supply. Whereas the venous drainage of the brainstem and the cerebellum does parallel the arterial supply of the structures. The cerebral veins are classified as superficial veins and deep cerebral veins. So the veins drain into the venous plexus and the dural sinuses formed between the dura layers, and then eventually they join the internal jugular veins at the base of the skull. Um, adequacy of venous outflow can have a significant effect on intracranial pressure. For example, in individuals with head injury, turning or letting the head fall to the side partially occludes the venous return and can increase intracranial pressure because of decreased flow through the jugular vein. So you want to have these patients supine, their head nice and positioned forward, no kinks in the neck to allow that system to flow freely to reduce um, pressure as much as possible. And then I mentioned briefly in the beginning about the blood-brain barrier and how like the carotid uh, blood vessels are tight junction and they provide the same or similar function to the blood-brain barrier. So the blood-brain barrier is a neurovascular unit. Um, it de describes cellular structures that selectively inhibit certain potentially harmful substances in the blood from entering the interstitial space of the brain or the CSF. This allowing neurons to function normally. So the endothelial cells in the brain capillaries with their intracellular tight junctions are the site of the blood-brain barrier. Um, supporting cells and their functional interactions include astrocytes, if you remember those, um, pericytes, and then the microglial. So the exact nature of this mechanism is controversial, but permeability is high for water, carbon dioxide, oxygen, and most lipid-soluble substances, including alcohol. Moderate for electrolytes, and then such as sodium, chloride, and potassium, and then almost totally impermeable to plasma proteins, and then most non-lipid-soluble large organic molecules usually do not pass through this barrier. 
and this has substantial implication for drug therapy because certain types of antibiotics, chemotherapeutic drugs, show a greater propensity than others for crossing and then the blood-brain barrier. So dysfunction or increased permeability of the blood-brain barrier, um, which can occur in hypoxia, can contribute to neuroinflammation, cerebral edema, and neurodegeneration. So um, the more this uh, layer is susceptible to permeability, the more risk and damage can happen to the brain because you don't have that normal function of it filtering what's good for it and what's not, especially when it's injured. Um, so then the epithelium of the carotid plexus and the arachnoid membrane also provide a barrier function in the brain, such as what the blood-brain barrier does. And then we've got blood supply that I mentioned earlier to the spinal cord. So the spinal cord derives its blood supply from branches off of the vertebra arteries, as I mentioned and branches from various regions of the descending aorta. So if a patient has, as I mentioned, a descending dissection or dilation, this puts that supply at risk, and of course, ischemia and then paralysis from the spinal cord being injured. Um, the anterior spinal arteries and the paired posterior spinal arteries branch off the uh, vertebra artery at the base of the cranium and descend alongside the spinal cord and the arterial branches from vessels are from vessels exterior to the spinal cord follow the spinal nerve through the intravertebral uh, foramina and pass through the dura and divide into the anterior and the posterior uh, red, uh, radicular arteries so the radicular arteries eventually reconnect to the spinal arteries. Um, branches from the radicular and the spinal arteries from form plexuses whose branches penetrate the spinal cord, supplying the deeper tissues. And then venous drainage parallels the arterial supply closely and drains into the venous sinuses located between the dura and the periostinum of the vertebra. Um, and then that is it for the quick um, review of the protective structures of the brain and then also the supporting structures that supply um, the brain and the spinal cord. And I will see you guys in the next episode. Bye now.